Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today on the TMZ Podcast. Welcome to the TMZ Podcast. Harvey Levin here. And Jason. So Chris Rock um, has kind of, sort of responded to Will Smith's apology. Um, Remember, Will said that he reached out to Chris. Chris was not ready for an apology. I can tell you we know from multiple sources who have absolute direct knowledge of this that at least up to the point of the apology on Friday, Chris Rock had no interest in talking to Will Smith and was not in any mood to accept his apology. So... Um, he performs in Atlanta on Saturday night, and I think what he said says it all. Yeah, so— uh, Re- Referring to Will Smith as— uh, Suge Smith. Suge Smith. <laughs> I mean— <laughs> One of the all-time sort of violent guys out there, right? And he he's, he's sort of poking fun at him. And, I mean, the basic point is, right, I'm not going to be a victim— and uh, but I think there are two points here. Yeah, I think just calling him Suge Smith. You know, this is the day after he gives his apology. Yeah, right, 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 right. You're absolutely right. It's a slap back in the face. Yeah, pardon the pun of Will Smith. It is. Yeah, and it's basically saying, "Screw you! I'm not accepting this apology." Correct. Which is Chris Rock has been somewhat consistent about. Right? He has no interest in an apology. He thinks that Will acted like a punk, and there's no reason for me to accept an apology. He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to at all. Um. And then, you know, you know, before we get into the – there's something else he said that I thought was really interesting. Before we do, um, you know, I, I do think that when you look at what Will Smith said, it, it, it reinforces everything I thought about this. This had nothing to do with the alopecia joke as far as I'm concerned. He could have made a joke about uh, her dress. Yes. And he would have done the same thing. And the reason I say that – is remember he said that Will and I have a lot of history. Right. That history is not good history because in 2016 when Chris Rock um, hosted the Oscars, he took a shot at Will and a shot at Jada, and it was close to the line. Right. I mean, it was very personal, at least the way they received it. Yes. It, it was, was personal. It was that was that was tough. Tough, uh, tough comedy made about Jada. It was. And, you know, we don't know what's behind that, but it. W- what we were told is they have disliked him ever since. Right. And they were ready for bear. Yes. It seems that they almost had this pre-plan that if Chris Rock said anything about them, and remember, Will's up for best actor, so there's going to be jokes poked at him all night, and other people did as well. Right. Right? Amy Schumer made jokes at their expense. But when Chris did it, and it was really mild, right? When Chris did it, that triggered. This the was slap like the husband the and wife where they get into this nuclear fight over the toothpaste tube. Right. It wasn't about right. alopecia. <laughs> right. He was ready to pounce. He hates him. And I, and, and I mean, I think when he said we had history, look, I'm, this is kind of my interpretation, but I've thought this 
for a long time, and this is what I've heard, is that Will and Jada really disliked him because of what happened then. And apparently there's more history beyond that. I, I don't think you have to read that much into it. I mean, he said what he said about the history. Also, like when he said, keep my wife's mouth out, my wife's name out of your mouth over and over again. That wasn't just because of the one time. Exactly. Clearly, that's multiple times building up. Yep. Okay. So the second thing he said that I found really interesting is that he got into the whole notion of everybody saying they're victims of various things in life yep. and things that are mild by comparison to what most people go through. So here's the statement. Everybody is trying to be an effing victim and everybody... If everybody claims to be a victim, then nobody will hear the real victims, even me getting smacked by Suge Smith. I went to work the next day. I got kids. Anyone who says words hurt has never been punched in the face. I think that's really interesting because what he's saying is we've all gotten too soft and everybody, you know, is a victim of something. And that the notion of being a victim shouldn't be used for everybody with every indignity, with every insult. And I think that's what he's really doing here. I think that's right. You and I have talked about this a lot, about this whole victimhood and and how sort of we getting soft is one way to phrase it. I, I mean, just that once you're a, once you feel victimized, you go out and you you exploit that and you talk about it constantly. There is something to be said, though. Some people are really are victimized by words, and I don't want I don't want Chris Rock to give too short a shrift to those people who truly have been injured. He does seem to say that he's a victim, though. He says anyone who says words hurt has never been punched in the face. So he says I've been victimized, and I think by all accounts he has been. He's trying to draw a distinction between physical assault and verbal assault. Yeah, I think largely that's true. I, I, I do think I there's some verbals also. I, I think he's using words as kind of a metaphor. Yeah. I, it, it, you may be right, but I think it's beyond that. I think it's, you know, that that our society has become this thing where everybody is a victim. Everybody's a survivor of yes. something. And, you know. It, it, and to his point, and this is one thing that I talk to my kids all the time about, when you claim survivorship – when it's something mild or not that offensive or innocuous, you are doing a disservice to those people who truly have been victimized. And obviously there are lots of people like that. And when everybody tries to get on that bandwagon of victimhood, that really does do something awful to true victims of, of insults, crimes, I think that's whatever the point. it is. I think that's the point. Yeah. I, think that's, I think you nailed it there. Yeah. Uh, okay, Elon Musk. Oh, my God. This is unbelievable. His dad is nuts. His dad is nuts. Elon is nuts, too. I, I learned a little bit. I was not aware of who his father was. I don't know. Maybe you knew I've, this. I've read books on Elon. Okay, so he was a mine owner. He owns a mine in Zimbabwe, a very wealthy entrepreneurial property developer in South Africa, uh, brings his kids to to America early on, and, and you know, obviously— No, no, they, not— he, he didn't bring Elon to America. Elon came to America on his well, own. No, no, no. He, they got divorced with May, and, gotcha. and Elon literally left with, twenty. I think, 20 bucks in his pocket. Oh, interesting. And then came came to Canada, actually. Um, and, you know, he struggled. I mean, Elon, Elon hates his father. Right. Elon hates, hates, hates his father. Thinks he's evil. Has used the word. So his dad goes on a radio show yep. in... Um, in uh, Australia. Australia, the um, Kyle and Jackie O show in Australia. No relation, I think. 
It's a joke that Harvey and I got. Yeah, that's about it. <laughs> God, that would be sad. Yeah. That would be really sad if nobody gets that. Well, I don't know. We like having a young young audience, so. I know, but <laughs> people don't know who Jackie O is. Uh, what hey, do you think? Guys in the room hold on. don't know who Jackie O is? Hold on. Corey, do you know who Jackie O Oh, God. Cameron. Cor oh. Cameron, do you Okay, one out of two, everybody. Okay, so, uh, okay, so, I mean, it, this is just crazy. So, Errol, his dad, um, is asked if he's proud of his son because of all of his creations and whatnot. The answer is no. Yeah. The answer is no. He says that um, his favorite son is actually Kimball. Right. Kimball, by the way, he and Elon invested in the first company together. They did. And, They're very and made close. Made their first couple hundred million dollars. Yeah, uh, and he, uh, and he's a huge investor as well in Tesla and SpaceX, a multi-billionaire himself. And not, Elon and Kimball are very close, and they're very close. And and he gives he's been very gracious in giving Kimball a lot of credit for the for the get, getting going in the industry, but definitely the father prefers Kimball, says, and I thought a remarkable statement, he owns a fleet of vehicles, the dad does, Errol. No Not one of them is a Tesla. No Tesla. And then, you know, look, you can tell that he just has a thing against Elon, but then he goes in and really strikes a low blow. <laughs> so he was asked about this photograph, and I mean, folks, I'm, I, I don't know if you saw this photo. It's a picture of Elon on a boat in Greece, and he's overweight. He's been working really hard. And hasn't he, had time to eat well or work out. He's overweight, okay? Yeah. So they ask him about it. And basically, you know, Elon, rather than, or rather, um, Earl, rather than, you know, just saying, look, I'm not going to go after my son, he says, well, he's been eating badly and then offers a weight loss product to yeah. him. Like Elon is going to take his this, this, this man's advice on what yeah. weight – he is he – is, Viciously going after yeah. Elon. Typically, viciously. Typically, your parents are some of the few people that are allowed to tell you to your face that you don't look good and you need to not eat to the more world, healthy. right? Not to the world. Number one and number two. Not when you're completely estranged from one another. It's clearly a pot shot. He hates his kid and. Enough of it's one thing for him to criticize his business acumen, as crazy as that would be in the case of Elon Musk. Another thing to criticize his product, or to even say that I, but for me, he never would have achieved these these levels of success. But to get so petty as to go after his weight and say that he's uh, been eating badly and urging him to take a weight loss program that he's hawking or something. I don't know what exact why exactly brought this up. It really does go beyond the pale of what's acceptable even in a father-son relationship, especially publicly, like yeah. you said. Yeah. I, I mean, look, I, I I was reading a book last month about, or in June about Elon. It was actually a really interesting book. It was about five people. It was about uh, Elon. Um, it was about Jack Ma, Bill Gates, um, Steve Jobs, and Jeff Bezos, the titans of industry in the 21st century. Yeah, and it was and and it was about it was by an author who had written about all of them and put it together, and it was a really interesting book. But the part about Elon is that you know you really and I've read other books on him, but you, you know it's he is he is so shaped by his childhood. Yeah, um, you know everybody is, but he he processed how he was shaped. I think he understands it. And it, it really is interesting. And and he just harbors such a grudge against his dad. But the idea that the dad would strike back this way, to me, is just shocking. And especially because the dad kind of abandoned the family. Yeah.
It's funny because there's been a lot of criticism level at Elon Musk, and some of it rightfully so over the last couple of months, especially about some not particularly forthright business dealings. I wonder if he ever thinks about that in the context of his father and the relationship that they have and the the vitriol that they have. And he had, you know, I, I just seeing Elon Musk say that his father's a terrible person. Given but he that, said that for a long time. He has said that for a long time. I wonder when people say about Elon Musk, a lot of people criticize him as being a terrible person. I wonder if that strikes home for him at all. or He disassociates his conduct from his father's. I mean, we're all this product of of how we were raised to some degree i don't think he's i don't think he thinks of i I, based on everything i've known and read yeah i don't think so i mean i think he views himself in a completely separate orbit from this guy yeah wants nothing to do with him feels like he's away from his influence feels like he was never really shaped by him because of the divorce and the abandonment and all that and you got to remember too elon you know, when you, th- it really is an amazing story that he came to Canada. He wanted to get out of South Africa, came to Canada with no money, with no prospect, ended up on some farm with some distant cousin, and 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 built his life from being a grunt on a farm. I mean, when you really think about it, it's remarkable. Yeah, it is really remarkable, and he did this all on his own. And always felt away from his dad's orbit. And that isn't to say that his dad didn't influence him. Oh, sure he did, of course. But I don't think in terms of business and everything else, he had a very strong view of what he needed to do. And when he worked in this farm, he was really impressive. You don't think of Elon Musk as a physical guy. He was physical and really um, managed this farm in a way that impressed the the cousins and it is like who is this kid people are good at things are good at everything people that are that smart and work that hard are going to be good at whatever i was just surprised this is manual grunt labor yeah and he was he excelled at it and did things i i I don't remember what it was there was some contraption that you needed to get into and there was involved fire and most people most workers wouldn't get involved in it and wouldn't get inside of it yeah he did yeah and it, it was just it's it i don't know he had it's a fascinating room. dude fascinating okay are you ready to shop Ragaton's big give week is back get 15 percent cash back at hundreds of stores including ray-ban good american and alta Ragaton is how in the no shoppers get the best savings they shop the brands they love and earn cash back on top of deals during Big Give Week, May 6th to May 13th, the cashback rates are even bigger. I'll be shopping for apparel and electronics, and you can save on everything you need for the summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. Join today for free and get an extra 10% cashback boost. That's an extra 10% cashback on top of Big Give Week's 15% cashback. You won't see higher cashback rates than these. Just go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. Rakuten. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Amber Heard. So as if we've heard everything. We haven't. Yeah. We haven't. It's crazy that this came out. There were thousands of pages of documents that were released that were not part of the court hearing, but they were issues that 
they that each party wanted to raise against the other. Right. So as in all cases, right, a lot of doc, a lot of information, evidence is submitted to the court before out of the side of the jury, out of the side of the media's eyes. And the judge will rule in advance of the trial on what can be uh, introduced and what cannot be introduced. And there are a lot of things always that cannot be introduced. And it's now come out what those things were that the judge struck down. I thought they were completely salacious. Good job by the judge. I frankly thought the judge allowed a lot, much too much. You and I talked about that in the yeah. trial. It was bizarre how much came but in. But this was so over the pale. But uh, Johnny wanted to introduce evidence that Amber used to work as a stripper and an escort. Uh, and we don't know if this is true or not. We have no we idea. Say. But he wanted to introduce some sort of evidence to support that fact. The judge struck that down. And by the way, struck it down because even if it were true, and we're not saying it is, uh, we have no idea. But- it's it's what what judges do is they weigh the prejudicial impact of evidence against the, the rele- relevance of the evidence. And when you think about it, you know, every piece of evidence is prejudicial yeah. by definition. You're trying to sway people with the evidence for you and against the other side. Right. So every piece of evidence is prejudicial. The issue is, is it so prejudicial without enough relevance that it should be out of bounds, and the judge said this was out of bounds. So now this one clearly seems out of bounds. I think we agree on this. Whether or not she, uh, and again, we have no idea, whether or not she acted as a stripper and an escort is irrelevant to the ultimate decision, uh, the ultimate question of whether he beat her. Right. Irrelevant. Now, he, what she wanted to introduce the drug stru- that the ju- judge struck, I thought is a closer call, right? So uh, lawyer, her lawyers wanted to enter text messages between Johnny Depp and Marilyn Manson which allegedly showed Johnny giving Marilyn Manson pointers about how to deal with his own, what they called an Amber-type situation. Marilyn Manson was famously accused of a lot of violence towards various uh, partners that he had. Right. And uh, Johnny apparently was giving pointers about how to deal with that to Marilyn Manson. That's a pretty close call. Why are you saying that? Well, because if he has the uh, thought, I think Johnny's thoughts about how to deal with allegations of domestic abuse might be relevant to how he uh, does. If you can draw that, the parallels. But see, you're, you're assuming the conclusion. Well, a, a bit. Yeah, that's right. Marilyn Manson has said all along that these were lies. And, you know, remember, there's this thing now where there was evidence that one of the accusers may have forged a document making it appear to be an FBI agent yep. and all that. And so... There are well, there but are, the ju- there, yeah, the ju- and, and and all I'm saying yeah. is these are allegations from his point of view, Marilyn Manson's point of view, and from Johnny's point of view, whether it's true or not, they they feel like they're in the same boat, and so right. what, what the way you could interpret that is Johnny is not saying, oh, I'll tell you how to deal with somebody who you abused. Johnny could be saying. I'll tell you how to deal with somebody who makes up abuse charges. That might be, I also think that might be a question for the jury to decide whether or not it's true. Because there's no investigation here into the truth of Marilyn, the allegations about Marilyn Manson. What would be potentially relevant is Johnny Depp's Yeah, but you have, to get, you, you have to get into that in order to understand it. Well, I, maybe, but or you could just say, look, we would just want to assess Johnny Depp's playbook for dealing with domestic violence allegations. And did he follow that but why playbook is that rel- here? Why is that relevant? I mean, he's going to say... I was screwed over and he was screwed over. That's what he's going to say. And that I was just offering him advice that if somebody does this to you and they're false allegations, here's how you handle it. 
that would not be relevant. So, well, he could, he could get up there and say that's what he was doing. But I don't then know. the question is, do you open the door and let the judge? Which should the judge allow something? Would you allow that in if you were the judge? Uh, uh, probably not. I think the judge made the right call, but I think it's a lot closer call than introducing evidence that Amber yeah. was a stripper and an escort. Well, that's just ridiculous. Yeah, that is ridiculous. Um, boy, that's how bad we thought this trial opened all the doors. Yeah. Jeez. I know. <laughs> okay. Last one, Britney Spears. You gotta love this. So. Frankly, I wasn't sure she was even going to write this memoir because she was so active on Instagram making all these allegations. It turns out she's already done the book. Yeah. So it's done. She has written the book. Simon & Schuster wanted to publish it early next year. But, but they pressed control P and nothing came out. No. <laughs> this is crazy. There is no paper in the world for them to print Britney Spears's manuscript Britney Spears's autobiography on. How can this be Britney Spears is a victim of the supply chain shortage? That's right. So I so it has come out that Britney Spears that the produ- uh, the the publisher Simon and Schuster, right. I believe. Uh, can actually doesn't have the supply of paper it would require for them to print the because they're gonna they're expecting huge numbers of copies of this book to be sold. They need to make sure that they can fill bookstores, fill Amazon the deliveries, and they can't do that. They say there's just no paper coming in from around the world that would allow us to print this book. We need to hold. So I have a question about this. So this book certainly young. Well, I you know I don't know. That's actually interesting. I'm guessing. This is a book that's going to resonate with people 30 to 50, 30 to 60, something like yeah, that. Yeah, the people that loved Britney once it's upon not a time, be, right? It's not going to be people Fewer 20. people that are 20, right. So what I'm wondering is, because, look, I I was really, I love to read, and yeah. I was really nervous when the when Kindle came out because I thought, oh, God, should I try this because I'm so used to holding a book. And now I, I would never consider holding a book. I mean, I love mm. reading on Kindle. It's just easier. It's just easier. Yeah. And so what I was thinking is, number one, I mean, most people have laptops or they have iPads, iPads yeah. or something like that. And so why wouldn't Simon & Schuster just take the leap and almost say, okay, we're going to release the book but you and and I realize it could cut into sales. But if other books can't get released, you have an advantage right now. So why not release it and tell people, hey, there's a supply chain shortage. Everybody should read this book um, on Kindle or some form uh, of that. I, I, I think statistically, the majority of books are still sold in, in hard. You copy. think it's the majority? I do. I do. Yes. I, I honestly, I never read a book cover to cover electronically. I buy everything in paper. Seriously. Seriously. Yeah. Everything. And I thought I was the old dog that c- couldn't learn. Well, a new you still trick. use a Kindle, so I don't. Well, why is that bad? Because everybody uses iPads to read their books. Nobody well, uses it, a Kindle. no, but I have a small one. It's e- no, 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 <laughs> no. I'm serious. It's, it's not about the size. It's just that it's a product that. Oh I no, 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 no. I no. I'm sorry. I do have an iPad. Okay. I, I have a Kindle function on my iPad. I see. Okay, fair. No, enough. but it's a small. It's a small. Yeah, yeah. No, I understand. I understand what you're saying, and it seems beneficial. But it's just uh, maybe old habits die hard. But I think that. I, I, we'd have to look this up, but my, I suspect oh, see, this very is great. Strongly. Oh, no, this is great for Simon & Schuster. They come out and say, look, we've been reading about all these celebrities with their carbon footprints and their jets yeah. and everything else. We're going to do something for the environment, everybody. We are going to release this book paperless. We're going to release this book so you can only read it on Kindle. And if you don't have Kindle, you're not going to be in the know. And I mean, then, and then the, yeah, then there's an Instagram video of Brittany going, how does this thing turn on? <laughs> <laughs> how to do this? <laughs> we'll see you Wednesday. <laughs>